You know, I love the summer. I love the travels. As you can see, maybe if you were here before service, you saw scrolling pictures. We're taking selfies wherever we go. I know that this morning we are in Seattle and we are in Boston. I know last night we as a church were at the Ed Sheeran concert. I'm pretty bummed that I didn't get to be there, but as a church we were there traveling all over. So don't forget, send us those selfies. Let us know where you're at and what's happening as we have a lot of fun and as we travel this summer. It's been a good one. All right, friends. So we are... um, Looking, we, we began a new study a couple weeks ago, and we are looking at Old Testament stories. Um, uh, of course, most of uh, the, the stories in the Old Testament revolve around a character like Moses or Abraham or Noah or Adam and Eve and, and all these stories of people. But ultimately what we're convicted of is that most of these stories tell much more about God than they tell about the individuals. That ultimately the, the primary narrative taking place in, throughout Scripture, but in the this case in the Old Testament, the primary narrative is about a God who created and a God who loves and a God who sustains. And so we're, we're in the series, A Glimpse of God. And each week we're looking at a different character and the way God has revealed himself uh, through the life of this individual. Today we're going to look at Moses, and um, the Exodus story uh, is certainly one of my favorite in Scripture. Um, the Exodus story becomes like a paradigm uh, for salvation, for God's work, for God's redemption of Scripture. And so as Jesus comes, uh, people remember the Exodus. They remember being redeemed out of the hands of Pharaoh and out of slavery and, and given new life. And so, again, this, this plays out over and over throughout Christian history, throughout Israelite history, the idea that God is redeeming his people, that God is lifting his people up out of slavery, giving them new life and inviting them into new and beautiful things. And so today, we are going to dig in to the story of Moses. We're going to look today at his calling, uh, kind of towards the beginning of his story. I don't know if you've ever had a time in life where you were tasked with something just far greater than you thought you could accomplish, far greater than you felt comfortable engaging. Uh, We took our kids to Silverwood this last week. And uh, we had a lot of fun up there with our girls. They're six and eight years old. And um, we went on all sorts of rides. Um, in fact, next week I'll show you a little bit more of uh, my daughter's first roller coaster ride. But um, we, we went in the water park there, and they have an incredible water park. And one of their newest slides is six slides that you slide down head first on a mat, and it begins in a black tunnel, and then it opens up to light and drops off. And, and it's used for racing. You know, the, it tells you your time at the bottom and how quick you made it down. Well, both my girls decided they were, they were ready to try it. And so we hiked up top, and uh, we waited in the line, and we got to the top, and we knew it was going to be tense when we got up there. And so we put our girls on the slide, and we said, we'll, we'll get them started, and then we'll jump on and, and catch them at the bottom. Well, my younger daughter, Rachel, got to the top, and she laid down on the slide, and she tried to get off. And I was able to get her laid back down on the slide, and she said, I can't do it, I can't do it. And, you know, she started panicking, and I said, Rachel, if you don't want to do it, I'll walk down, I'll walk down with you. We don't have to do it. And she said, I don't want to do it. So she got off the slide. We walked down through the crowds of people having to part for us and everyone making comments about, you know, the quickest way down is on the slide and all these sorts of things, right? Uh, yeah, we know that. And so I walked my six-year-old down to the bottom and, uh, and, and as we're getting, as we step off the last stair, and this is a giant tower that you've climbed up, as we step off the last stair, she started to cry. And she says, I feel really bad that I didn't do it. 
And I said, it's okay, baby. We can do it next time we're here. Not a big deal. Um, but, but she couldn't shake this feeling. Like she had come up short. And by the time we walked to the end of the, the, by the time we're walking out and we've met back up with Sarah and Alyssa, Rachel says, I need to try again. She said, I have to do this, right? And so uh, I said, hey, if you are sure you want to do it, we took a little break, you know, rode around the lazy river there for a minute just to give her a minute to think about it. And she said, I want to do it. I'm going to do it. And so we went back up top and, uh, and, and she did it this time, right? She gets on and she took the push and she went and, uh, and at the bottom she had the biggest smile on her face and she said, can we go again? And so we went back up again and, and, uh, stood in line, right? There's these moments in life where we come across obstacles that just seem too big to overcome. Well, let me say that is exactly the moment that Moses finds himself in our story today. I want to back up a little bit of the history in, in the history of Israel so that we can understand the flow, what brings us to this moment where Moses encounters a burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. But the backstory to it is important. God had appeared to a man named Abraham, and Abraham uh, was elderly. He was 100 years old and his wife 90 years old, and uh, his wife had never had a child. But God came to this man named Abraham, and he said, Abraham, here's what I'm going to do in your life. I'm going to um, make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. He says, I'm going to bless your family that you can be a blessing to the nations. And so God, God makes these vast promises to a man who chuckles at them and says, I'm far too old. My wife has never had children. This couldn't happen. But Abraham does have a son. And a few generations later, um, uh, one of the descendants of Abraham, a man named Joseph, uh, is sold into slavery in Egypt. And uh, there's a great famine in the land, and he ends up being put uh, second in charge, only under the pharaoh of all of Egypt. And, uh, and, and so Joseph, he brings his family to Egypt, uh, where uh, for the next few hundred years, his family, the, the Israelite people, will live. When Joseph brought his family to Egypt, there were 70 of them in all. So that promise made to Abraham a few generations later. Now there are 70 descendants of this man, Abraham, okay? So the story of the Israelite people, it takes a turn for the worse. Um, uh, Sometime later, Joseph and all of his 11 other brothers have passed away of old age. Uh, A couple generations have gone by, and a new pharaoh starts to see uh, these Israelite people are no longer just 70, but growing. Becomes fearful of their numbers and the potential uh, that, that that holds in his nation, so he enslaves the Israelite people. For 400 years, God's people are enslaved in Egypt. For 400 years, the Israelites find themselves in slavery there in Egypt. And um, you can imagine the questions they'd be asking in the season, right? God, where are you? God, you made promises to us, and, and I can't understand how slavery, this oppression, how this violence that we face could be a part of your plan. You know, those are the kinds of questions we often ask in life when we lose a job or lose a loved one, when things aren't going well, when finances are tight. We we start to say, God, why, right? What is your plan and what is happening in all of this? And at best, we go to God with some honest concerns and some honest complaints saying, God, reveal to me what's happening. At worst, some of us have been in this place where we throw our hands up and we say, there's no God. 
I just give up, right? Yeah, that's, that's where these challenges in life so often face us, and that's the Israelite people. 400 years of slavery. I mean, as far back as many generations as they can remember have been slaves in Egypt, and things are getting worse. Uh, the Pharaoh is no longer giving them the straw to make the bricks they're re- required to make. Um, they're short on food and they're short on everything. Uh, but still, they're growing in numbers. And so the Pharaoh, he, he decides, we, we've got we've to squelch this. We can't let them get any larger. So he makes a decree that every male child that's born has to be killed, has to be thrown into the Nile. And so for this season, the Nile River there in Egypt, which is the life source of a desert region, becomes the graveyard, the source of death and terrible atrocities being committed. And it's in that time that a man named Moses was born. He was actually a child at the time. He was not a man. He was a child named Moses. And Moses was born, uh, and his mother was faithful and loved God. And she hid Moses for some three months before he was too old to hide. And then his sister brought him, and she placed him in a basket in the reeds down by the Nile River where they were supposed to throw the child in, but, of course, put him in a basket. And it just so happens that Pharaoh's daughter is walking and sees the child, and she takes the child up in her arms and has compassion for it. Moses' sister, who's uh, hiding a little ways away watching, sees it happen. And she walks up to the princess of Egypt, and she says, hey, would you like me to find someone who can nurse the child uh, until it's weaned and old enough? And the pr- princess of Egypt says yes. And so, so uh, Moses is taken to his mother, where he's nursed and raised, and then eventually brought to the palace where he grows up. Now, all the while, the Israelites are experiencing all of this turmoil, all of this hurt and frustration, slavery and murder and all of these things, and they're asking hard, hard questions of God. But here's a fascinating little sub, subplot in the whole story uh, that, that they couldn't see in the moment, but looking back on it, we see clearly. They had grown from 70 people to about 3 million in their time in Egypt, okay? And so God's promise of a vast nation to this man named Abraham was being fulfilled amongst them. Even in the turmoil, even in the chaos, God was bringing about some incredible things because there's about to be a major turn in their story. And the three million of them would know something very, very different. So Moses, as he grows up in the palace, was educated um, uh, there in Egypt. Uh, he had, uh, instead of the, the hard and harsh labor of slavery, he grew up in the palace as a grandchild of the pharaoh. Right, and as he as he becomes an adult, he's out there in Egypt, and he sees uh, some of his fellow Israelite slaves being mistreated. He sees um, uh, an Egyptian uh, harming his people. And so he defends them, um, but ends up killing the soldier that had been harming his people. He tries to cover his tracks, but it becomes public that he has killed this Egyptian. Pharaoh uh, has a plot to have him killed, and Moses flees into the desert. And so as we pick up in Exodus chapter 3, God's promises are vast. Uh, We've begun to catch a glimpse of him fulfilling his promises to his people, yet chaos reigns in the moment. And so here's Moses having fled. He's uh, found a wife, and he's tending the sheep for uh, his wife's uh, father. Exodus chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 10 here if you want to follow along with me. 
Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look to this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside uh, to see, God said to him, out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, uh, come no closer, remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. The burning bush. Many of us are familiar with the story. We've heard it many times as children. Um, uh, some of us, it's, it's a newer story. But in this moment, Moses, having fled from Egypt, finds himself in an encounter with God. I can only imagine as he sees this bush and his curiosity is piqued and he moves towards this strange sight. And out of the bush comes a voice, Moses, Moses, and again, a subplot that's not easily seen, but in Hebrew, to repeat a person's name was to say, I come as a friend. And so, so in his confusion, who's talking to me and what's happening? He knows a friendly voice is speaking to him. And God says to him, take your sandals off, because in the presence of someone far superior to yourself or in a holy place, it was proper to take off your sandals. So he knows a friendly and powerful voice is speaking to him. And God says to him, I am the God of your fathers, your forefathers. Remember the promise made to a man named Abraham generations, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, I am that God. Can you imagine being Moses in that moment? Hearing the voice of God, being confronted by his power, and he falls to his face in fear, in adoration, in amazement in the moment. And God, uh, unfortunately, uh, has a task uh, far greater than Moses is quite ready to accept. God says, you who fled from Egypt, you whom I've been equipping since a child, raised in the house of Pharaoh, knowing their people, their customs, and their land, you who I've been equipping are going to be my agent to lead our people out of slavery. Now, you can imagine what begins to happen in Moses' heart from the, uh, from the awe at first to the fear of realizing God in that moment to now a new terror, the kind of terror that says, I am way outside of my realm of capability. I cannot do what God is asking me to do in this moment. And so Moses does what any uh, logical person does. He begins to barter. 
right? He's going to begin to make agreements or, or excuses to try to change the situation. Um, I was in Nicaragua a number of years ago, took a mission trip there uh, with 22 of us, and um, and uh, one of the other leaders on the trip told us a story of his first experience bartering there in another country, something we're not too familiar with here. Uh, maybe when you're selling a car or buying a car or something like that, but rarely do we barter. But in the markets in Nicaragua and so many other countries that you might have traveled to, uh, bartering is key. It is It is central to um, any sort of exchange. And so he, he tells a story of having been separated from his guide. Usually you have someone local who can help you not get ripped off or your wallet stolen or anything like that. And he got separated from his guide, but that's okay. He's got it under control. And so he keeps walking through the market. He finds a sunglasses uh, a stand or hut there, and uh, he decides he wants to buy. He was so proud that he got a pair of Oakleys for under $80, you know? Uh, that's That was a good price. He was was really proud of himself walking away and he gets back to his group and and his guide and uh, they asked how much he had paid for those and uh, and he told them I mean well over 10 times what he should have paid for the glasses and he feels shamed and he puts them on but at least I look good in my new glasses and his guide says to him he's colorblind you know you bought women's glasses right <laughs> and he stands there absolutely humiliated in his purple fake Oakley's that he paid $80 for, right? So that's how bartering so often works in our lives. And to be honest, Moses isn't going to do much better than my my friend did there in that market. Uh, So Moses begins to to barter with God. And I won't read this. Instead, we'll we'll just kind of walk through it, um, uh, an overview, because this is going to be chapters three and four. I'd encourage you to go back and read it a little bit. Uh, But here's what happens. Moses says to God, God says, I'm going to lead you uh, into Egypt, and you are going to lead my people out. You're going to meet Pharaoh and lead my people out. Moses says, who am I to rescue the Israelites? His, his first complaint and his first concern. Who am I to do it? And, and it's a poignant question. Who am I, right? I'm far too little and I'm far too frail to accomplish anything on God's scope, right? Anything that big. Uh, who am I? I'm, I'm the man who killed an Egyptian and had to flee for my life. I've abandoned uh, my family, my people. I've abandoned uh, the Pharaoh's household and his daughter, who, whose house I grew up in, right? I've run away from everything. Who am I to now lead? It's a valid question. By the way, start to listen for these questions and complaints in our lives when faced with big things. Who am I? I'm just not capable, and I'm just not big enough. And, and then he says, well, God, who are you? right? Who, who would I say has sent me? And I think the question is bigger than a name. Uh, it is, who are you? You're the God that made all sorts of promises, but has allowed for 400 years our people to be enslaved, right? And in our lives, we say, but you're the God who allowed my loved one to pass or me to lose a job, right? God, who are you? How am I going to step out in faith with all that I'm facing right now in life. And he says, well, what if they don't believe me? Fear starts to creep in, or, or even pride. What if I'm laughed at? What if, what if they just shoo me off and laugh in my face? What if they don't believe me? And then he starts with the excuses. Well, I don't speak well enough. I'm just not the person for this task, God. And then finally, in the end, just exhausted, he says to God, just please send, send someone else. Right? He's got nothing else. I can't argue anymore. God, please just send someone else. 
So watch and listen to, to how God responds to all this. It's hard to see in the, in the overall flow. So when we break it down here, it's fascinating to hear God speak to these. Uh, Moses says, who am I to rescue your people? God says, well, I'll be with you. Who are you? Who do I say sent me? I am who I am. He's like, I am existence, right? That's his answer to Moses. I am, and I am the Lord, the God of your fathers. Well, what if they don't believe me? God says, I'll perform miracles. You'll be all right. He says, I don't speak well, I can't do this. And God says, who gave you your mouth? I'll speak through you. And Moses says, please send someone else. And he says, tell you what, I'll send people to help you in your journey. I'll send your brother with you. And I think this is a fascinating flow. And let's just leave this up for a little bit because we'll come to come back to it. Um, I think this is a fascinating flow to listen to God's voice in this text. When we're facing big things, God says, I will be with you. I am the God who created, the God of your fathers. I'll perform miracles, I'll speak through you, and I will send people to help you. Can you hear those vo- that, that voice in your life right now? Like, I don't know what you're facing, if it has to do with, with a, a struggle at work, if it has to do uh, with raising your children, if it has to do with relationships. I don't know what God is calling you towards in life right now, but I hope that today you can hear those words. And if you need to, snap a picture of it or something, because later in the week, these words, I believe, will be really powerful in, in some of our lives as, as we face the things ahead. For God to tell you, hey, I'm with you, and I'll speak through you, and I'll send people alongside you in your struggles, and I'll perform miracles, I am God. Those are beautiful words, friends. They're the words that God spoke to Moses, but I think they matter in our lives. And as we begin to consider calling, as we begin to consider stepping out of our comfort zones and our own abilities to hear God say, I'm with you, and I am God, is a beautiful beautiful thing. And I want to explore this morning um, what God might be calling us to in life. And so uh, typically as we talk about Moses or this major pinnacle story of God calling someone into his mission, you know, and, and then we ask, well, what, what's your calling? We're like, I'm not going to sell everything I have and move to Africa. I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not there, right? When, when we think of calling, we think of those major major subjects, like I'm going to give it all up and I'm going to move because God's calling me to. Now, God does that, and it is a beautiful thing when people respond. You've heard Gabe and Sally talk about their journey in responding. My wife, Sarah, grew up on the mission field in Africa. Steve is working um, in Kenya right now with the mission agency, and and there are times and places where, um, yes, God calls us to those big picture major decisions. But I think we'd rob ourselves if we left the conversation solely to that this morning. Because I think God's calling comes in quite a number of other ways. Uh, right now, we, we have a men's book study and a women's book study. Uh, I think the women's concludes this week, and the men have two more weeks maybe. The guys, we've been studying through a book called uh, Walking with God by a man named John Eldridge. And John Eldridge has this fascinating perspective, uh, kind of infectious, I I like it a lot, where he invites God into the everyday conversations of life. He'll ask God, should I head up to the cabin this weekend, or should I go for a horse ride, and where should I ride this morning? And he has attained a, a far deeper level of conversation and relationship with God than I have yet to know. Uh, but, but I don't in any way discount what he says. I love the fact that he invites God into the daily 
things. He says, God, what are you calling me to today? What does it look like to walk with you here and today? And as we get up to go to work, we get to say, God, what do you have for me? Is, is there one person that I get to encounter today just to share a little love with, right? As I go to the grocery store, uh, God, will you give me that opportunity to just make eye contact and smile at, at someone, right? You know, the simple things in life where we say, God, I just invite you into this moment. Uh, God, show me your will and show me how I can participate with what you're doing today. So you got the big macro picture of God is inviting me to this career or this major life decision, but we also have the daily calling, like, God, what's in store for today and how can I walk with you? How can I participate with what you're doing here and now? And then finally, the third aspect of calling that I think it's important that, that we would consider is the more general calling. As followers of Jesus, what has God called us to? The God who is love has called us to live lives of love, okay? So, so we are called to live lives of love. And like Moses, if we're to actually internalize that, we would say, I am not capable of loving, you fill in the blank, right? There's someone that, that immediately probably comes to mind. I don't know if I can love so-and-so, right? But as followers of Jesus, we are invited to reciprocate the love that God has demonstrated in our lives. As followers of Jesus, we have been invited. Matthew 28, Jesus' final call to his apostles, 28, 18 through 20 or so. He says, um, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age, right? Jesus' final calling to his people. He says, go and share the good news with the world. And friends, we're called to that. And this is where, like Moses had excuses, I don't speak well enough, we come up with that same one, right? Uh, God, I don't speak well enough to share. And that's fine. You may or may not choose to be a preacher or engage in those ways, but to tell someone that God loves them or to share our simple story saying that, hey, God has transformed my life. And I'm, I'm deeply grateful for the community he's invited me into and the things he's done in my life. These are simple things that, friends, we have all sorts of excuses not to share, but God has invited us to share the good news with people around us. And finally, um, this third aspect, what are we called to as followers of Jesus? We're invited to participate in God's mission. And it looks like this. I'll be very brief here. But God's mission is to restore what has been lost and broken. When you read that Genesis account of God walking in the garden with Adam and Eve, the nearness and the depth of love and relationship, God is a God that desires to restore right relationships and restore his good creation. And so when and where we have opportunity to live in right relationship, to demonstrate love, to bring about restoration and healing in relationships or in this world, friends, that is a part of what God is trying to accomplish, and we are invited to participate in what God is doing in this world. As we come across difficult situations and people in life, we are invited to participate in God's restoration of those situations and people. So let me, let me just share some simple things that I think are powerful in participating in God's mission that might come up this week. Um, uh, sharing a meal with uh, someone who's hurting right now would be a remarkable way to demonstrate God's love and to reciprocate it. Uh, taking the time to schedule coffee with a friend, just have a conversation and check in, 
is really important. Initiating a conversation with someone outside of your normal circle. Make it a point to reach out and, and just show kindness to someone in life. Uh, showing patience with your children or with a coworker. Right? These are the simple things that day in and day out, when we say, God, what do you have for me today? These are the simple things that God is inviting us to do and to participate in. Invite you this week. What is God calling you to? And there's a, a number of layers we could be asking that question on the macro level. Is God calling me to, to some sort of career, some sort of change in life? Beautiful. Let's begin to pray together about that. Let us know what you sense God calling us to. And let us know when those fears crop up that say, I can't do it. And we'll listen again to the voice of God saying, I'm with you. And I'll work through you and I'll send people alongside you. Or, or maybe it's more the day-to-day calling that, that, that is pricking your heart this morning, right? That, that God is telling me, I just need to be a little more cognizant, a little more thoughtful about what God is doing in and around me, that I can participate a little bit more in his mission. I'd invite you to consider this morning God's calling. I'd invite, I'd invite you to put aside some of the fears and complaints, to, to let down that posture of bartering with God or making excuses, and instead to say, God, you have been good to me, and I will participate in what you're calling me to. Those are big, that's a big, big challenge. And I don't mean to belittle the struggle in it, but the God who raised Jesus from the dead The God that created us, the God that loves deeply, says he'll walk with us in that journey. Friends, let's pray about that as we finish out today. Father God, we thank you for the day. Thank you for time to come together. We thank you for a time of worship. We thank you for a time of conversation with each other and a time now, Father, that we get to look into your word. And Father, as epic as the story of Moses is, none of us really live up to it, nor, nor will we in this life. But Father, thank you that you do call us in large and in small ways. Father, help us to walk with you, to know you a little bit more, to participate in the good work that you're doing in the world around us. Father, give us courage uh, to say a kind word. Give us courage uh, to demonstrate your love, to be your hands and feet in this world around us. God, the calling is big, so where there is fear, I pray that you will calm it. Where there's uh, excuses, Father, I pray that you will remind us of your mercy and your work in our lives. Father, thank you for the good God that you are. Thank you that you've invited us into your love and into your work. In Jesus' name, amen.